0: Hi, Evan. All right, our gospel reading this morning comes from uh, John chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 30 through the end of the chapter. John 5, 30 through 47. Hear the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me if i alone bear witness about myself my testimony is not true there is another who bears witness about me and i know that the testimony that he bears about me is true you sent to john and he has borne witness to the truth not that the testimony that i receive is from man but i say these things so that you may be saved he was a burning and shining lamp And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me, as the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me himself has has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not... Have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?" This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Though we are not 100% sure, we can reasonably assume that the author of the Gospel of John is John, the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve apostles, who is also the author of the three letters of John that we find in the New Testament and the book of Revelation. John is up front about his desire to convince his readers that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one in whom there is salvation and life. John 20, verse 30 and 31 is a kind of purpose statement for this entire gospel. It reads, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In John chapter 5... From verse 19 through verse 47, we have an extended speech by Jesus. This is the first fully developed discourse by Jesus in the Gospel of John. Before this point, we just get a few snippets of conversation from Jesus. But here in John chapter 5, we get a full-blown sermon or a speech or an address from Jesus. And the topic of this address is the same as the topic of the entire gospel. Namely, the identity of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verses 19 through 47, Jesus tells us who He is. Because understanding the identity of Jesus is the key to eternal life. The identity of Jesus makes a world of difference. This past Monday, I got a call from Elder Rich Good asking me if I had heard from Ava and Calvin who were in Berlin visiting my daughter, uh, Rosie. There had been an Islamic terror attack in a Berlin Christmas market. This is not the kind of phone call that you want to get. I contacted Ava and Calvin immediately. They were safe. But only a few hours earlier, they had been in that very Christmas market where a Muslim man, driving a stolen truck, with the murdered owner still in the cab, drove through a crowd of innocent people, including children, who were preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus. At bottom, this murderous outrage was about the identity of Jesus. The victims and the perpetrators fall on two sides of this question. Who is Jesus? On the one side, there are the Christians who flock to Christmas markets to buy goodies, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of those who believe in Him, and they are mowed down without mercy, like roadkill. And on the other side, there is Anis Amir, a Tunisian soldier of ISIS, the follower of a religion invented 610 years after the birth of Jesus, a religion that vehemently denies that Jesus is who he says he is, a man whose burning desire was to kill as many Christians as possible. Two views of the identity of Jesus, two dramatically different outcomes. The identity of Jesus is important. It has always been important. And from the very beginning, the identity of Jesus elicited a murderous rage from those who opposed Jesus. What happened on Monday in Berlin is nothing new. As we read last week in John 5, 18, quote, this is why they were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. The opponents of Jesus were upset to the point of wanting to kill him because Jesus had revealed his identity and that identity was shocking. Jesus is no ordinary mortal. He's not even a prophet as Muhammad craftily claimed in the verses that he composed in the 7th century of the Christian era. Jesus is actually the incarnation of Almighty God. He is God come to earth. And that's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. In fact, it's so hard to wrap our minds around that idea that it is only possible if God Himself shows us the truth of this claim. In Matthew chapter 16, after an argument with the Pharisees about who Jesus is, Jesus asks Peter, who's been traveling with him for a while now, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. To see Jesus as the Son of God is something that natural human eyes and reasons will never be able to show us. What's required is a special revelation by God himself. And Jesus says that Peter is specially blessed because he has had this insight. My prayer for us this Christmas day is that we might be blessed in the way that Peter was blessed that we might see Jesus for who He truly is. And my prayer for the world is that God would display the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus for all to see. I pray that all the world would know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the bright and morning star, the way, the truth, the life. I pray that all the world would know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray that all the world might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, they might find life in his name. In our Gospel reading this morning, which is the second half of this extended discourse by Jesus on his identity, Jesus adopts the language of a court of law. In Jewish law, there were strict rules of evidence and the number of witnesses needed to prove a case. Jesus says in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so Jesus calls four witnesses to testify to his identity. The first person Jesus calls to the witness stand is John the Baptizer. In verses 32 and 35, Jesus says, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears is true. You sent to John... And he has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. You'll recall what the baptizer said about Jesus twice in John chapter 1. We hear John the baptizer proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John somehow sees that Jesus will be the sacrificial Lamb who will atone for our sins. And this is an amazing insight. John, of course, dies before the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He never saw the fulfillment of his own prophecy. There's no way to explain how John came to understand who Jesus is except by some supernatural Holy Spirit inspiration. John the Baptizer bears witness to Jesus. The second witness that Jesus calls to the stand are the many miracles that he has performed. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, "...but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John." For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now in this passage, the word works refers to the miracles of Jesus. In the Old Testament, miracles are called mighty works. The miracles that we see in Scripture authenticate the messenger. What's most important about Jesus is what he has to say. And the miracles that happen all around him bear witness to the fact that he doesn't speak for himself. He doesn't speak on his own behalf, but he speaks for Almighty God. Nicodemus understood this connection. In John 3, 2, we hear Nicodemus say to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, another word for miracles, that you do unless God be with him. Miracles bear witness to Jesus. The third witness that Jesus brings to the stand is God the Father himself. In verse 37, we hear Jesus say, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. There are two times in the Gospels that we have accounts of God the Father bearing witness directly to Jesus. The first is at the baptism of Jesus, You'll remember that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptizer. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the second time was at the Transfiguration. You'll remember that story. Jesus is up on some high mountain. He's there with Peter and James and John. And Jesus is transfigured. That's what it says in our English translation. The word in Greek will make sense to most of you. Metamorphothē. Jesus morphed into something else. He began to shine like the sun. And then in Matthew 17, 5, we read, A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Two very strange events, but events that were witnessed by multiple people, and in both of these cases, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father... ...bears witness to Jesus. The fourth witness we have at the witness stand... ...is the Bible itself. In verse 39, Jesus says... ...you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In verses 46 and 47, Jesus says... ...if you believe Moses... ...who is understood to be the author of the Torah you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Pharisees, to whom he is speaking, were very careful students of the Scriptures. They would certainly not like Jesus calling, uh, telling them that they don't believe in Moses. But while they were careful students of the Scripture, somehow they failed to see that the Scriptures were speaking of Jesus. Luke chapter 24 has the story of Jesus meeting a group of his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. They don't yet understand all of the whys and the wherefores about the death of Jesus, and so Jesus explains it to them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he uses the words of Scripture. Luke 24, 27 says, Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted to to them... All that the scriptures said concerning himself. The scriptures bear witness to Jesus. So, those are the four parties that Jesus brings to the witness stand to confirm his own identity. John the Baptizer, Jesus' miracles, God the Father, and the Holy Scripture. But there is another important witness to the identity of Jesus a witness that was not yet in place at that time that Jesus was speaking to this group of Pharisees. That witness is his own resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is a dumbfounding miracle. Jesus was publicly executed, and then three days later he was up again, and he was walking around, and he was talking, and he was eating with people. More than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus, And not all at the same time, not all in the same place. So his resurrection was no conjurer's trick. It was no bit of mass hysteria. Something passingly strange happened. And there is no cogent way to dismiss the reports of so many people about that event. The Apostle Paul tells us that he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we know that that experience turned him around 180 degrees. He met the resurrected Jesus and he went from being someone who sought to kill Christians to someone who laid down his own life to proclaim the good news of Jesus. My prayer for Anis Amri, the 23-year-old Muslim who drove a stolen truck through the Christmas market in Berlin, at least my prayer before he was Finally, killed by Italian police, was that God would give him a road to Damascus experience. I prayed that God would be merciful to Honest Omri, that God would open his eyes to the identity of Jesus and turn him around 180 degrees. I pray that Honest Omri might be free from the hate that drove him to kill innocent people, and I pray that Honest Omri might discover new life total love, and complete salvation in Jesus Christ. One of the silver linings in the dark cloud of the ongoing Islamic Jihad is that the number of Muslims who are converting to Christianity has reached an all-time high. At the last General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, we heard reports from EPC missionaries bringing the gospel into Islamic-dominated lands. What we heard is is that conversions from Islam to Christianity have reached new records. This phenomenon is even being reported by Western non-believing journalists who think conversion is a bad thing. I read an article this week in the Daily Beast, certainly not a Christian journal, lamenting the number of Muslims who were converting to Christianity in Europe. German television recently showed footage of 600 Pakistani and Afghans lining up to be baptized in a Persian church in Hamburg, Germany. This mass exodus is happening in spite of the fact that converts often must sacrifice their family connections, their jobs, their homes, and even face death, the risk of death, in order to follow Jesus. You understand I trust that the Quran commands the killing of apostates, of people who convert away from Islam to other religions. 9 separate verses in the Quran call for the killing of apostates, and the Hadith and Sirah, which are the accounts of Muhammad and his uh, companions, repeatedly affirms this basic principle of Islam that anyone who converts away must die. And yet they keep coming. They keep coming to Christ. Because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus does have the words of life. Because love does triumph over hate. And mercy does triumph over judgment. Thanks be to God. May God be merciful to all those who seek release from bondage. So here we are. It is finally Christmas. After all of these weeks of preparation, it is now time to settle down and celebrate. And I hope that your celebration is sweet and filled with peace. I think it's particularly wonderful that Christmas fell on Sunday this year. Of course, we don't have any idea about when Jesus was actually born. December 25th is just a matter of tradition. But it is important that each year we celebrate the Incarnation. This great mystery that God entered into his creation as a humble babe, born to a virgin, celebrated by angels, worshipped by shepherds, God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth so that he could offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what John the Baptizer meant when he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God did this because of His great love for humanity. John three sixteen and 17 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. To believe in Jesus means to grasp His true identity. To know that He is the Son of God. To believe in Jesus means to reject the claims made by some people that Jesus was a mere mortal or that Jesus was a prophet. As the writer of Hebrews so beautifully tells it, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us By his son. The incarnation which began at that first Christmas was the beginning of a story that is not over yet. We await the consummation of God's promises. We await the return of Jesus. The first time he came quietly and humbly. The next time he comes he will come with a trumpet blast and a blaze of glory. Christmas is supposed to be a season of peace. But the world doesn't offer us peace. We who are in Christ can know a peace that passes understanding. That means a peace that doesn't correspond to the craziness of our lives. Even when there is trouble on all sides, we can have the peace of Christ reigning in our hearts. And that's my prayer for us, for all of us gathered this morning, that the peace of Christ might reign in our hearts. I would like to close with a benediction that the Apostle Paul offered to the church of Philippi. The Apostle Paul, who would himself soon die for the faith, writing to a church that was surrounded on all sides with hostility. May these words speak to us this morning. Paul writes, If there is any encouragement in Christ...